Hi everyone, welcome back to Behind the Timeline, the podcast where we examine pop culture in films, television, and books across the ages. As always, we are your hosts, Lindsay and Scott. If you're interested in finding out what we've already covered or what we've got coming up in the future weeks, be sure to leave us a follow on Instagram at Go Behind the Timeline. Check us out on Twitter at Behind Timeline and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Additionally, links to our Patreon and our official website can be found in the episode descriptions if you would like to support the podcast. And now, on with the show. That's what, dude, I cough all the, like, at the worst times. Anyway, hello. Hi, everybody. Hi, Lindsay. How are you feeling today? Hi, Even Scott, though I already know. Good. Even though you already know, because we've been hanging out and chatting for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing great. Um, It's it's a blustery day outside. Yeah, for you. <laughs> for me, it's blustery. For Scott, it's, like, baking. Like Yeah, it's ridiculous. I fucking hate it, dude. Yeah. Um, hi everybody. Welcome to the American Tale episode. Uh this this movie was eye-opening as um gosh, how do I want to put this? Uh watching this with a critical eye, I can't even begin to tell you how different I feel about this movie from the last time I saw it. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm actually like shocked at how much i have to say about this i know i kind of am too i'm just like where the fuck do There's we a even lot begin happening here that i didn't realize when i was yeah. younger um so yeah i'm excited to get into it but i know that we want to take a second at the start oh yeah to so some <clears throat> hey guys so um it is no secret i am a huge football fan uh some of you a little less known secret i'm actually an ohio state buckeyes fan um i'm a new orleans saints fan but uh yesterday unfortunately the nfl football and just the world in general uh was uh, was saddened to hear that uh steelers backup quarterback Dwayne haskins was killed after being hit by a car yesterday he was 24 years old um and it is it is i'm still blown away like i literally like i could not believe that that happened like i thought it was just some like internet meme because like his career had to be restarted when he got drafted by the washington redskins who are not the washington redskins anymore um redskins go fuck yourself now it's the washington commanders (laughs) um (laughs) i know one time i know a quote and i know i'm actually impressed with you um (laughs) but no it is it is crazy i saw this kid play at the fiesta bowl in 2019 against clemson i just it is insane so uh, for me personally, my heart goes out to his family, to the Pittsburgh Steelers organization, the Washington football team organization, any Buckeye out there, like hit us up on Twitter. If you guys feel like any kind of way about it, it sucks. Um, and he, he definitely was taken way too early, but, uh, let's get into a little bit more depressing, uh, stuff from a movie standpoint. So this is American. This is an American tale. Um, and it's Don Bluth. It's Don Bluth. It's Don um, Bluth, and it's a movie that you did not hallucinate. This really I happened. know it really did actually happen. Although well, there are Don parts Bluth. of this I wish hadn't. Um, we did skip over, and I actually am like racking my brain to try and remember why we skipped over it. Same. But I don't we, know. Yeah. Um, we did skip over his first official film, which was The Secret of Nim. Um, but we made it for arguably what I can only say is the third most iconic film because I feel like Secret of Nim is his most iconic and then Land Before Time and then this. 
I, you know, I don't know. I think we could debate that. I think it depends on your like personal experience with it because secret and M I only saw a couple of times but land before time is like the staple of my childhood yeah, i guess so that's true i think land before time might be better known but i think secret and Nim has a bigger cult following that's my but i could be wrong no that's actually that's that's a good point i um uh, yeah i retract my previous statement we're gonna switch those around um like I said, while this isn't Don Bluth's first film, it is the first animated film from Steven Spielberg's Amblem Entertainment, uh, which helped spawn the Amblemation Animation Production Company, which would survive from 1986 to 1997 until it was, you know, I believe absorbed by 20th Century Fox. I don't quite remember. Is it Universal? I felt like these movies were Universal. I'm, not, so I'm honestly not sure. These were Universal, yeah. These were Universal, um, produced by Amblin Entertainment. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm dying. Um, but yeah, directed by Don Bluth, this film was written by Judy Freuberg, uh, Tony Geis, and David Kirshner, who some may know as one of the producers of Hocus Pocus, which I thought was fucking awesome. Hey. Yeah. I remember. Um, you remember. Um, <laughs> unlike many of our previous films, however, an American tale is star studded. There are so many fucking people in this movie. Uh, but most notably we have Dom DeLuise as tiger, the cat. I fucking love him. Mm-hmm. Christopher Plummer is Henri, the French pigeon and Nehemiah Persoff as Papa Mouskowitz, who, if you guys aren't familiar, he plays Barbara Streisand's father in Yentl. If you're Deadpool fans, you'll know the hilarity of that reference, but, um, <clears throat> yeah anyway for if you guys haven't seen this movie in a while which Lindsay keeps making a joke about it but i genuinely know people who think this movie ne- was not real oh no i like i'm like i mean i'm obviously hilarious but also you are hilarious dead ass serious like there's very like i i think a lot of people aren't really sure about a lot of these non-disney animated films yeah. from the late 80s and early 90s because they're so incredibly overshadowed by by the disney stuff and there's as we'll discuss kind of nowhere they don't really have a home they just sort of are things that did happen one time and so a lot of like kids today haven't seen them compared to something like the little mermaid right so no and honestly shout out to my sister for making sure that my nephews and my niece have seen shit like rockadoodle and a troll in central park and um the princess and the goblin because those movies, they're movies just like this. Like you, you feel like you saw them or you've heard someone talk about them one time, but they were not well known. Like they were not like, dude, I can, I will drop a name right now. And if anybody knows this, please drop a fucking like on Instagram or hit me up on Twitter. If anybody here remembers the pebble and the penguin. I remember the pebble and the penguin. I do too. It's, oh I don't my remember God, anything dude. that happened in it, but it, it rings bells, but yeah wild yeah i think a lot of this stuff just disappeared into obscurity and it's too bad because there was there's really kind of something here as we'll discuss but uh recap this thing for us scott for those who do believe this to be a hallucination of their childhood uh recap this movie for us so this is actually a very weirdly historical movie uh fleeing russia after the cossack raids in 1885 with his family young mouse Fievel mouskowitz is separated en route to america and must traverse a strange promising new country in search of them meaning both friend and foe along the way Fievel soon learns that family is everything when you're that young and god help me if my child ever acted like Fievel. <laughs> Dude. Oh. We're going to talk about that. Holy shit. Where can you totally find this, Lindsay? Because you actually dropped some knowledge on me that I wasn't aware of. 
Yeah, so uh, we were thinking that this was nowhere, but in the the biggest hit or miss piece of AI, I think, in our common world is like the search feature on the Apple TV. Yeah. (laughs) Because sometimes it'll tell me open in and it's like, you can watch this on all of these apps, whether I have them or not. And sometimes it won't tell me that and it'll be low key available on something that I just didn't even realize, right? It'll be on Peacock or something and I didn't know it. Um, But this one is available on an app called Tubi that Apple TV directed me to and that I never really heard of, but it was like, there's like a lot of movies on this and it was totally free. And I changed my note like five times because I was like, with ads, with no ads, with some ads, with (laughs) like there was an ad at the beginning and then there were no ads for like 50 minutes and then there were one or two towards the end of the movie. So it was really unobtrusive. It wasn't like watching something on on like Hulu, for instance, where it's the same commercial every seven minutes and you kind of low key want to die. Like, yeah, so it was uh, a more or less ad free experience. And I can confirm that the entire Fifle pantheon, which we will discuss, is, is like oh on God. here. Like the whole, the whole oeuvre of Fifle exists on this Tubi app. So if you're trying to get in there, um, don't check out Fifle. It's there. It's all there. Yeah. So that's, that's a nightmare, dude. But we've talked about the movie. <clears throat> Let's talk about the era. To the timeline. So the year is 1986, and this is our last trip to 1986, so here are some fun facts that we haven't seen yet. Rupert Murdoch launched the Fox Broadcasting Company. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> listeners. If you, if you feel some kind of way about that, this may not be the show for you. <laughs> Boo. I don't actually have strong feelings about Fox, whatever. So. Oh, I, I do. We can talk about that <laughs> offline. Boo. Um, anyway, that'll surprise no one. Haley's Comet appeared in the night sky and won't be seen again until 2062. Ah. Mike Tyson won his first world boxing title, and the American Girl Dolls entered the market. My sister had one of those. Um, So this is a weird part. Um, Oscar nod. It was nominated for Best Music Original Song with Somewhere Out There, Um, but the film unfortunately lost to Top Gun's Take My Breath Away. However, it did win a Grammy for the song for both song of the year and best song written specifically for a motion picture or for television. That is the real category. That whole thing. Yeah. Well, the top grossing movie was, was top gun for this year. Um, but this is one of the, the official, the first official animation clashes of the era. So an American tale went toe to toe with the great mouse detective, which we reviewed in our last episode and released just four months before this movie. So we had kind of a little animation war happening. This movie had a budget of $9 million, a million dollars less than Mouse Detective after Eisner withdrew $14 million from that film. And the film grossed a whopping $84 million, making it the highest grossing non-Disney animated film of all time at that point. Yeah, that's crazy. 
Oh, sequels and remakes. Holy shit. Um, the first of Don Bluth's films to spawn a franchise, American Tale would go on to produce three more sequels, with the most infamous being its direct sequel in American Tale, Fievel Goes West, which I feel like is the one everybody knows. Yeah, it feels like Fievel Goes West is the one that probably came out in theaters and the rest were directed it did. to VHS. Is that right? So that's correct. So okay. we would then get both an American Tale 3, The Treasure of Manhattan Island, and an American Tale, The Mystery of the Night Monster as direct-to-video sequels, both of which were poorly received by audiences and critics alike. Even Lindsay didn't bother watching them. Maybe for Fievel Goes West, like, you better watch it because that one I love. No, no, that no. One's I'll hilarious watch Fievel. No, we're reviewing Fievel Goes West. Surely. Like, that's, we're watching Fievel Goes West. It's the other ones that I'm like, I did not watch those for this. Or Fievel Goes West, because we're going to review it. But when we do Fievel Goes West, maybe I will watch those other sequels. Because I, I kind of didn't realize they existed. And it's creating an aura of, and I think there's only two examples of it. So it kind of dies. But, like, of Don Bluth movies having multiple weird sequel universes. Yeah, like, all like kinds the of Land Before Time. On. Yeah, and that's why I think it's just this and Land Before Time that have sequels. I could mm-hmm. be wrong, but... No, I think you're right, actually. They have their own little kind of, like, universes between the Land Before Time and Five Goes West have, like... I think there was a TV show for Five as well, and I believe that it's available on Tubi. Like, Tubi was like, would you like to continue watching shit in the Five universe? Because we can hook that up for you. They were really passionate <laughs> about me continuing. It auto-played Five Goes West after. I had to... I had to Hell yeah, let's go, Tubi. I'm kind of... I'm going to download that after this. Yeah, I was like, all right, Tubi. Like, what is, what's going on? So <laughs> go. But I do think that there's, like, a lot of Five stuff and one thing that i did see in my research for this episode was that in one of the fievel sequels and it, it motivates me to watch them apparently they like retcon fievel goes west and make that into like a fever dream where it's like oh, i had a dream that we moved out west and you became a gunslinger like they're i think when they're back in new york probably in that's probably the third Island. one the treasure of manhattan god i'm guessing i just saw a comment about it i don't know like i didn't really dig deeper but um but yeah, so that's <laughs> that, that exists. That sucks. To the movie. To the movie. So, I, I mean, we say it all the time. And we've said it numerous times since this episode started, but these are very different studios and very, very different styles. And I think we have to start with the reminder that Don Bluth worked for Disney. Yeah. So he, he worked on projects like Sleeping Beauty and the Fox and the, or not the Fox and the Hound, sorry, he left, uh, Robin Hood and, Mm -hmm. you know, movies like that, the Silver Age. Which means you know what he who he has a lot in common with, the though egg. the name of this guy is Blake. Oh God damn it, Lindsay! Why don't you know anybody's name? What's his name at Pixar? Same story. Oh, Jeffrey Katzenberg. No, the Pixar guy, the guy who runs Pixar. Oh, ran Pixar I'm a dumbass. Sorry, Bob Iger. No, dude, you are a dumbass. I am a dumbass. What is happening right now? Uh, it's the hang on. Steve Jobs started Pixar. I don't know what you're talking you're about. Such an asshole, John Lasseter. <laughs> John Lasseter, who's no longer at Pixar because of all the drama, right? He got canceled. Yeah. 
But um, but John Lasseter was also a Disney student who was like underappreciated at Disney. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't see his vision and he went and 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 directed Toy Story. Like he was the yeah. main guy who really was like the creative brains behind Pixar in the very beginning. And he ran it for, you know, until like 2018 or 19. Right. So um, Lasseter shares a lot in common with Bluth, I think. They were think like that they went and started their own things. It's just that Bluth's Bluth ended up working with Amblin and didn't circle back, which is another weird connection, right? Because it was yeah. Lucas who was who started it was Lucasfilm and Steve Jobs who started Pixar. And yep. and anyway, there's a no, lot of that's... funny there's a lot of interesting connective tissue in the way these things have happened over time, I guess is what I'm saying. There is, and it's super indicative of the art style. Like you can, you can tell, and it's crazy to me because the, the animation for the Don Bluth films is like, it's awesome. There, there's, there's no other word to put it. Like it's clean. It's vibrant. Dude, the water reflecting off the bottle when he's floating into the Bay of New York is insane. And we don't, Lindsay keeps teasing this, but we don't see water reflection like that until the little mermaid. And that's three years from now for Disney. Yeah. It looks way better than what Disney was doing. in it's stark age, right? They clearly put money into this, right? We said, well, and that's the thing. They knew how to make it work without putting a fuckload of money into it. So yeah. they made it look amazing and got a shitload of money back from it. And they're like, dude, we can totally keep doing this. Yeah, exactly. And it compared to like, so it does one thing that it has that it shares in common with other animated films of the era are those sort of stationary backgrounds. Like a lot of yeah. the background isn't moving and it's sort of underdrawn and it's very minimal uh, you know and in disney when i think about things like like 101 dalmatians those stationary backgrounds have this the xerography and the super heavy pencil lining and some of them are even like they're barely colored like in dalmatians in particular, oh yeah there's a lot that's like just black and white like sketches of a of a the desk and like a bunch of stairs in the background. Yeah, it's a bunch of manuscripts and paper and shit all against and a like blue a background. Or something. Yeah, it's just weird shit. Yeah, and it's barely colored in. This, on the other hand, like you said, is vibrant. Like the, it's it's sort of pastel. Like everything that's in the background is really well colored, even if it doesn't move. And so I think they have a one up on Disney for that. And I think that's how they kept it affordable. Like they did use those same cost-cutting tech- techniques that Disney's using at the time, but they're doing it in a way that is visually really appealing. And something this movie did really well was lighting. Mm-hmm. That Disney kind of like, I mean, as we said in our last episode for Mouse Detective, that was like a full-on Batman, like all oh, night, yeah. no daytime the whole scenes, right? At night. Like, <laughs> this was was not. This was very bright and it was well lit. And like yeah, the scene was. at the end where Fievel reconnects with with Papa Mouskovitz was so like golden like it was just so the it's it looks it looks really really good is the kind of the first thing i think we wanted to say about this movie and it's definitely not the first thing but i'm gonna try and be nice because i have had time to think about it but the last thing i do want to say about the art style is if you were like me and you grew up watching these movies alongside disney so you'll remember like all dogs go to heaven and there's this scene in this movie who made yeah. that movie, Don Bluth? Yeah. Weird. 
Well, because some of them aren't Bluth, right? Some of them aren't Bluth or Disney. Like Once Upon a Forest is just somebody, I don't know. We're going to find out when we were, that's why it's on the timeline, because I have no idea who even made that. Like there are films, like, like Rockadoodle isn't on Bluth, is it? Who made that? Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm derailing your thought. I'm just like, there are some out there that aren't either. And I'm like, where? Who? <laughs> I can't wait to review once. I know. I love that movie too. That movie is fucking awesome. But there is this like, there's this specific art style. It's, it's only used for what I can only describe as like the big monster of the movie. This movie has two of them. One is a very like, weird fusion of poseidon and the chernabog this big ocean thing that attacks the ship and i'm just like what is this i was hoping you would bring that up because i kind of forgot to write it down but yeah the the sea monster it's like the it's when the boat in the beginning the boat going to america gets uh when five goes overboard right and gets lost it's because of this this it's this the anthropomorphication (laughs) anthropomorphic oh god it's yeah, but I'm trying to make it the active verb. Anyway, the point is, it's like the sea anthropomorphized. Yeah, and it's like this. And the only note I found was that it was based slightly off Chernabog from Fantasia. Who, if you guys remember, that's like my, one of my that favorite tracks. parts of the movie. But he has a beard like Poseidon. So I'm like, what is this? Is weird. And that shit is mm-hmm. terrifying, but not nearly as terrifying as when the gates open. And the Mouse of Minsk weird fucking balloon monster thing that they've made comes out. This thing is a fucking <laughs> nightmare fuel. I like I. Yeah. And honestly, immediately when I saw that, because it's been a while since I've seen this movie. Immediately when I saw that, the very first thing I thought of was the scene where Charlie has a nightmare in All Dogs Go to Heaven. And he has the nightmare about the demon dogs like dog Satan dragging him down to hell and i was like (laughs) what the fuck yo that movie was fucking crazy i'm totally with you you know what the the mouse of minsk reminded me of was grand in the lord of the rings which is the um the battering ram that they use oh yeah dude right thing was like and he, he busts through the door the same way i think that's what that's really actually fucking sick like that was totally a grand reference dude i love that and i love that that's the name you know god i can't wait to get to lord of the rings and just be like who the fuck are we talking about right now for a change and all know somehow know. somehow i'll be able to, like i can't i don't have john lassiter for you but i can pull out you know i don't think i have all seven sons of feanor though i yeah, don't have do. all seven I don't think so. I think I have three to four. I don't think I have all seven. Unreal. Um, you know what we do have, though? God. We have the multiverse of Mousedom. We're back at Mousedom. <laughs> this is another one where I can't decide because they technically do live in trash, but I'm, I can only use the examples from this one because in... No, I can't because like, dude, I don't understand how people don't, first of all, and this is just me going off on a tangent for like three seconds. How do the humans in this movie not fucking see the mice doing the things that they're doing? Bro, for real. Dude, (laughs) 
I, there's a fucking mouse immigration just right next to the human immigration building. There's so a full on mouse sweatshop taking place inside a sewing shop. Like there's no, that's there's- inside a sweatshop, dude. I'm pretty sure like it's or well, I don't know. We'll talk about that when we get there. Maybe it is just a sewing shop. But yeah, you're right. They're everywhere there. It's it's but like rescuers kind of does it too, right? Because the UN is there, but go on the only what? No, that's it though. Like the only time that anyone actually reacts to a mouse is when Fibel thinks Papa's playing the violin and he goes up into that swanky apartment right? and then he gets hit in the fucking dome with a flower pot, which I was <laughs> laughing my ass off, dude. Like they miss him with all these other things like a hairbrush and a corset. Uh, but then he gets fucking bopped by a flower pot and just boom, beep, right to the ground. And it was I want to rewatch so and funny. do like a five little death count. Like how many times? Oh, how many he times died? he should have died? Holy shit. That kid should have been drowned. There's no, no shot that kid survived falling into the ocean. None. I think this entire movie is just the hallucination that Feifel had before he died. Right but, before he you died. Know, anyway, yeah, like in the <laughs> in the one second before you die, when yep. you, your brain gets full of drugs and stuff, or all uh, the yeah. you know the dopamine just it, like floods you and shit. No, it's like something that does some chemical that releases in your brain when you die that is like a hallucinogen. That's um, lit. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, that's apparently it's like a thing you can do. You haven't heard of this? No. Oh wait, oh. is that what the movie Flatliners is about? I have no idea. Uh, I have to ask my mom. I feel like I just insulted my mom right there. We'll have to look it up, but that that is like a thing. But I feel like this is all the hallucination that Five has before he dies. It but, tracks. But yeah, we're back in Maelstrom. We are in the multiverse of Maelstrom, and it's it's getting wild. There's a whole lot of shit going on between like this, the rescuers, and the Great Mouse Detective. But I this whole thing is really giving me like Bugs Life versus Ants vibes where mm-hmm. like Bluth is just out there making mouse movies in 86. Like he doesn't give a fuck about going up against Disney. And it really feels that way when when Bugs Life and Ants. But Ants wasn't made by Disney, right? Bugs Life was Pixar, but Ants was Universal. Yeah, or... Ants was uh Ants was someone else. I actually can't remember who Ants was. Shit. It was He it's I'm pretty sure it's Dreams Dreamworks. Yeah, Dreamworks. It was Dreamworks. That was where he went. But anyway, Bluth is just out there like doing this and he's like, I don't give a fuck that Disney is releasing releasing a mouse movie. I too am going to release a mouse movie. And in many ways, I mean, I don't know. I have a soft spot in my heart for Grace Ma- Great Mouse Detective, but in many ways, this movie is as good or better. And it certainly looks better. Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And it has more humor and it has music. For, it had music that got it got more acclaim. Than the Disney movie. So I'm thinking that like Eisner and Katzenberg are shitting their pants when they see this movie. And then cue the little mermaid, right? Which is, and just like you said, a lot, even some of the art in this, the way that they do it, the way that the light is in that final scene and the way that water looks are very, like you can kind of see the seeds and the connective tissue of Katzenberg and Eisner being like, fuck. We got to do something really. What are impressive. we doing? We got to figure something out. <laughs> yeah, and taking the elements that people like that must have really liked that were most impressive in the look of this movie, and like mixing them with better music, and like they it, this really pushed Disney to up their game. Well, and here's the here's the other thing that I noticed. So bear in mind, the Great Mouse Detective was not a musical. This a hundred percent is. There is a song almost every. 10 minutes or so yeah and then what's the next disney movie that we get the little mermaid 
And that's absolutely a musical. Oh, wait, wait. We have to stop being assholes. We're no, I'm being Oliver an asshole. Fuck Oliver and Company, dude. I'm going I know, but over. just technically, just for, for historical continuity, technically we understand Oliver and Company's in there. Um, Oliver and Company was a musical, too. I have to... And it was more funny, and it was more... I mean, I know we're not going to cover it, and I do not want to, but I don't want to ignore its place in, like... It, too, is part of the evolution towards the Renaissance. Yeah. Um, and it... It definitely is like an, a step up from Mouse Detective, not in terms of me wanting to watch it, but in terms of like, yes, it did have fun music and characters and comedy. And like, you know, I we can give it that, that it, it did kind of take steps in that direction. If we want to see it as like the last of anything or like that, like evolution bike switch, that's the last time that the animation looks like that. So Oliver and Company had to have already been in production by this point for it to still look that way when it comes out for yeah. the next movie to be little mermaid and be so clean. Like it just, they had to have learned from this and been like, dude, we've, we've got to pick our shit up. Yeah. I think this made them up their game for sure. And yeah. Oliver and company um, came out the, the two years later in 88. So yeah, it probably would have been in production at this point. I like that you got really upset about the 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 mice coming from Russia and saying all Wiedersehen, but not knowing how they got to Germany when like two seconds before that it says they're in fucking Hamburg. So I must have looked down or something. I that missed was it because I was like, up. what the fuck? Like what port in Russia are we sailing from? Like what's going on? I completely lost the overland travel to Germany. And they do go to Hamburg, which is a super fun city, and then catch the boat to New York. So, yeah, I was deeply confused by that, but it does make <laughs> sense. And, and yeah, because these, these are Russian mice. Yeah. I need to point this out, too, and we're going to get into this in a minute here, but this is important. And I think this is huge because we have not seen anything like this where it is mentioned, but never – it's not a main plot. These mice are Jewish, Yes, they are. And I would push back that that is kind of the main plot, which is what's really fascinating about what Bluth is doing here. No, I mean, like, it doesn't keep coming up where it's not like, oh, these Jewish mice are here. And Michael, Michael, Jesus, Fievel, he's this like orphan Jewish boy. They just they don't bring that up ever. It's just like, hey, they were celebrating Hanukkah at the beginning of this movie. Dude, that's crazy. We've never seen that before. Yeah. So they're they are explicitly Jewish mice. And it's like. It's really interesting because this is like what I think you're you're actually like hitting the nail on the head of what I thought was so fascinating about this movie is that they don't make it the overt plot line. Yeah. And yet that is exactly what this movie is about, because the whole movie is about the Jews being persecuted in Russia by the uh, the Cassocks, um or the cat six, I think is what they call the cat version they of them. them. Cat six, yeah. Oh my god! And so the cassocks were, and this is like straight out of Wikipedia. I had to look this up, um, but they were a Christian group out of Russia and Ukraine, and they were semi nomadic but semi semi militarized, and they were targeting the Jews on the orders of the Russian re regime, like the Tsar Alexander or somebody, I think. Um, I'm sure it was an Alexander like, but uh, that was like the or uh, under Russian um, government orders. 
targeting the Jews. And then so they have these attack cats with them, which, okay. Um, who are t- like, part of me is like, why isn't this a movie about cats? Like, why isn't it dogs that are chasing them? But sure, what? sure, cats and mice. Also, and, these uh, cats do not sound like cats. They sound like fucking dragons. I know, right? Dude. Like, They're so vicious. Which is so funny because the sound bites for all of their audio came from The Secret of Nim, And the name of the cat from The Secret of Nim is Dragon. So I thought that shit was so fucking hilarious that these cats sound like straight up like seventh level of hell (laughs) demon fucking things. It's They were scary, dude. And they, uh, yeah, they were fucking bloodthirsty and they were kind of racist, right? Like they looked like racist depictions, depictions of Russians. Yeah. They were dressed the the same way the cost, the human Cossacks were. Exactly. But anyway, so yeah, so the cats are, we'll talk more. The cats are fucking insane through this whole movie, but <laughs> they, I, like, it was kind of awesome. But but anyway, what I was saying is that the I think while it's not overtly the point of the movie, it is like if the Jews, on the human side, it's Jews being targeted. The Mauskowitzes are as Jewish as they come. Like yeah. it's so many Fiddler on the Roof vibes from this family. Oh, big time. I was a rich mouse like, but I, um, and so if the mice are I understand that we have mice from all over the world we absolutely see that as immigrants but it's like they're the metaphor for Jews and like Fievel's a Jew and the whole thing is about escaping oppression and creating community and like I would argue that like him being Jewish is what the whole movie is about it's why he has to leave he's being persecuted for being a Jew but it's all like this low level like as a kid I had no idea. Like, this is the stuff that blew my fucking mind watching this movie. I was like, this is about Jewish persecution? Oh, yeah. I had no no idea. And I looked it up, and YouTube's full of of videos about, Oh, I believe it. This is cool representation for Jews, and it is. You're right, because it's not, like, thrown... So, there's another... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, Um, you're okay. there's There's a really... It's not awesome, but it is awesome to see the reference. Um... There's a scene where Fievel is – I don't know why I want to keep calling him Michael. Um, I don't either. <clears throat> there's a scene where he's walking through the streets and this movie does a really good job. It's one of my fun facts. But this movie does a really good job of showing emotion through color where vibrance yeah. and hope and happiness are bright and they're in your face and sadness and gloom and solemnity are like – it's this murky, like muted colors and shit. So when Fievel is walking through the street, he's like really down. He's walking through the snow and he looks through the window and he sees all of these kids at school. And that was, and I look, I saw this when I was doing my research. This is in that, Russia when they're still in Russia. No, no, no. This is when he's finally in America when he's walking through New York. Um, oh, okay. This was indicative of uh, Jewish kids were not allowed in school. And so it was a lot of Jewish kids looking in through the window of schools. And it was That's like this. Yeah, it was this thing where Fievel is like, I don't think it was meant to be that way from Fievel's point of view. I don't think he was like, I want to learn. I think he was just like, oh, there's people in there that look happy. Well, no, and I he's think it's himself. what Bluth does in this movie that's yeah. so fascinating. It doesn't have to be part of the plot to be an exactly. illusion to this real life stuff. Right. Like he's in the sweatshop for five seconds and Not thinking even. about it. 
you're right. It's just a sewing shop. It's not a sweatshop. It's just a seamstress. For the mice it is, but for, for the, the humans, it's just like some seamstress place. Yeah, but for the mice, it's a sweatshop. And it's like he's there for one second. It's not really a, an important part of the plot. It's just No, it's just where he meets Tony. escape that he makes. Like being interned in a sweatshop is like this the term was coined in 1800 or 8 sorry 1850 and this thing's taken place in 1855 55 i'm sorry you guys numbers are worse than <laughs> names for me let's try that again 1885 is when the movie takes place the term Spot sweatshop on, first try. was coined in 1880 and um and the cassock raids were were a real thing in 1885 in russia right and mm-hmm. so it all like there's I don't know. It's wild. It's, commentary. Yeah, it's just sort of happening. It's like the sweatshop thing is just it's, it's just there, and um, him looking in the school window is a great detail. Like, yeah, good mm. catch. That's it's fascinating. Um, and the whole movie is really just about escaping oppression. Yeah, and it's like the cats are just a symbol of oppression wherever you go, and then it becomes about community and how it's not just the Jews, right? They weren't the only people being oppressed or the only people who want to fight that when they arrive in America. And that's what this movie is about, is that like everyone yeah. left for this American dream, this like, you know, where uh, where the streets are paved with cheese and in America there are no cats. Who told them that? I, Dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, so it's the story the dad tells. Also, I don't, I, I couldn't figure this out. And I honestly felt like it was, very similar to tabooing Voldemort's name. Why are they afraid to say the word cat? Like, does that to them summon cats or is it just like fear of a name creates fear of a thing itself kind of thing? I think that it's more analogy for oppression. And if you think about, um, I mean, very relevant. If you think about in Russia right now, the way that they refer to the war in Ukraine is being really limited by the government, right? They're only oh, allowed yeah. to say, uh, what's, what's the stupid thing that Russia's trying to call it other than a war? Like they oh, have whatever their verbiage is. No, they have this particular verbiage that Putin is trying to get everybody to use right now. That's not war. And there's all these lists of words that you can't use to describe it. And so I think that's what it's. There is no war in bossing. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a spot on (laughs) like that i i think that that's what that's about that it's not that necessarily it would like a voldemort thing like summon them and i don't think that they're i i don't think they are afraid to say the word the way they're they are in harry potter although harry potter by the way the voldemort thing is referencing the same thing that i'm getting at which is when you have this like totalitarian regime um what you say is super super controlled and um and limited and they're afraid of being heard speaking out against their oppressors. That is what I think the don't say cats thing is. And the same with, um, while I'm very open to a theoretical conversation here about in universe examples, it's the same with why, um, daddy Mouskovitz says there are no cats and why this is like the rumor is America is a place where there's no oppression where it's all opportunity and the streets are paved with gold the streets are paved with cheese right, right. everything's great it's nothing but opportunity and the oppressors that you face in whatever country which is what they learn right it's not just uh, Russian Jews that were fleeing oppression right. to America it was everybody. people were emigrating from all over the world 
uh what was it it was an italian mouse uh there was an irish mouse and i'm gonna i'm gonna be honest with you guys Lindsay is really good with the irish accent and everything and picking it up i could not figure out where bridget was from the whole movie her accent disappears no 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 the girl that tony falls in love with yeah yeah her accent disappears it 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 comes and goes well her accent was was pretty garbage but there's also an irish mouse on the boat when they sing there are no cats in america and there's an italian one and they're very stereotyped and it's like it's not great but you know but it's not lady and the tramp either and um it's all i i really like that message of the movie that like yeah but we're all kind of trying to escape this some version of this thing and in the movie it's just kind of condensed down into being cats as just the concept of oppression that they're just sort of standing in for that and bluth doesn't get too bogged down with the in-universe examples he's really happy to just work in this analogous world oh yeah it's just like he's like i'll throw that in and someone will pick it up yeah he's just making a political point yeah and it's awesome he's just completely happy to just let it speak for itself and and so that's what the no cats in america thing is is just saying no this is this this land of opportunity and everything's going to be great once we get there and then they get there and they find out that's not the case and that you have to fight oppression and stand up for what's right wherever you go and that's what this movie is about and like bringing community together around that from mice from all over europe and the rest of the world and Honestly, like I had no idea that's what this movie was about. Oh, I know. I had <laughs> Turns out it I is. had no idea. And there's like dude, the the other thing that like blew my mind and please tell me more about this because I didn't quite understand it while I was watching it. First of all, Honest John cracked me the fuck up. The fat mouse that was drinking whatever he was drinking that was eating through the floor, that shit yeah, was hilarious. Oh my god, right? He said the booze eats through the floor. And the mouse that keeps pouring it for him funny. is looking at it like, "What the fuck?" There's some really good facial expressions in this movie. Um, oh my god. But the the whole ghost vote thing like what was he like being voted for? I don't, okay. So yeah, so this is part of many like weird little details that Bluth is throwing in that are have like very precious little to do with the plot but are super historically accurate, but this one threw me for a loop too because he's He's gathering names of people who died to use them to vote for him, right? He's like, oh, good. That's right. it. That's someone that I can do like a fraudulent vote with. And I looked it up because I'm like, is this something that was happening in the 1800s? Because as we know, and to be clear, it is not something that happens now on a large scale. And it is not a problem. And um, like we said before, Fox News is destroying society. <laughs> So it's interesting because I tried to Google this and I tried to look it up like 1880s, like mm-hmm. or 1800s ghost right. votes and nothing comes up. And maybe it's just because America sucks, but all that comes up are articles debunking the Trump 2020 claims of voter fraud. Right. Mm-hmm. Which are, again, entirely ludicrous. And so I'm I'm not seeing anything that says this was a thing like in the mid 1800s. So I don't really know what Bluth is trying to say here and I'm wondering if it's like all he's saying is that honest John is dishonest, which is this not the second yeah. honest John we've seen that in in anime wasn't the one in Pinocchio honest John? Yeah, that was his name, the fox. 
Yeah, so we have two of them now. Or is it Honest John here? It's Honest John. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, you know how I am. I'm like, am I hallucinating this? <clears throat> she asks him, she's like, Honest John, do you know his parents? Because that's why she said, she's like, Honest John knows everyone. Right, right, right. That's how they find him. He knows everybody in the city will go ask this guy. Right. Exactly. And then he's like, are they registered to vote? And they're like, I don't fuck. I don't. What does that matter? And he's like, then I don't. I've never heard of him yet. But like, I was just, I saw this and then I saw the the ghost vote thing and then when they have the wowie in the park which is rally the rally oh my god her she's such a mood so for those of you who don't know she's played by madeline khan who is the girlfriend in um young frankenstein that ends up falling in love with frankenstein's creation she is the german assassin woman from blazing saddles she also has a cameo in the first muppet movie she asked (laughs) it's where the myth joke starts um but her speech impediment is a hundred percent based on her character from blazing saddles but during the rally as it's like panning out and the scene's coming to an end honest john yells out remember a vote for honest john is a vote for freedom and i'm like what is he being voted for though is it mayor is it just like the leader of the people because there's no other person like running against him right there's no election there's no campaign yeah sorry there's no competition really it's interesting i think this might be another one where bluth is like not asking us to care about how it filters in in universe he's just making a comment maybe about politicians and i'm just confused right this is what i'm saying like through this whole movie it's like it doesn't actually probably fit into the continuity of anything like no one knows or cares it's just a way for him to express this like idea, which is like generally something that I find really frustrating because I would prefer to live in an in-universe, in-canon theoretical world, right? Where I try and make everything fit. That's usually my MO, but in this one, I'm really cool with it. I'm like, no, this is actually interesting. Like what things are we referencing? Um, kind of like South Park in a way. Like the whole oh, thing yeah. seems to have a lot of parody and irony in it, but I'm like, where do, where the ghost vote comes from is I have no idea because I can't find anything great about it from like the mid 1800s on a quick search and that's crazy. in my um or the eight you know what I mean the 1850s and stuff but I'm like mm-hmm. I can't uh, I can't really think of how this would have been relevant to the modern politics in the 1980s any more than in the 1880s right so I. I don't really know. And so I call on our history buffs to let us know where this comes from. Was ghost voting a thing in either the 1880s or the 1980s? What is Don Bluth trying to tell us with this guy? Because I found that really interesting. Yeah, please let us know. I genuinely like I want to know. Kind of Chris, I'm looking at you, friend of the show. Who's a history history buff? Can you gave help us, us some out? info? I actually, from, uh, Mary Poppins I'm gonna throw too. shade at Chris right now. Yes, she did. Um, and I'm gonna throw shade because I tried to call you right before this to ask you about this and didn't answer. Nope, voicemail. So, yep. So please hit us back and let us know what the shit this was about. Um, other things that like little details that I thought were um on point though, and the reason that I think that this thing about ghost votes must be about the 1880s and not the 1980s is because all this other shit is like super accurate social commentary on stuff happening in the 1880s. Like when they changed their names at Ellis Island, that was 
so oh yeah dude okay and this is this is just me nitpicking this isn't really a plot hole it's just a fucking pointless they never refer to tanya as tilly only she does well and again i think that that makes sense i mean because can you imagine if you're like let's say that tanya's 10 11 we don't even know we don't fucking have any idea how old these kids are like they're mice we don't fucking know i mean i'm just throwing a guess like i'm gonna have to say five like eight that's what i'm thinking like so she's probably maybe she's 12 maybe she's a little like early teenager maybe yeah um i don't really see showing up in america at 13 and being like yeah sure i'll just have a new first name like them like you know what i mean like last names i feel like that was like a paperwork situation i don't really know uh chris tell us how was that handled how did people receive those name changes um because it seems like maybe there wasn't a lot of choice about it as far as last names went because that's like your paperwork that's you know but i don't really see your family being like oh yeah sure we'll call you tilly that's that tracks like no of course they weren't going to call her that and i think that they the fact that they changed her first name and not ju- and not their last name which i thought was weird because the mouse yeah that i didn't get had their mouth their last name changed i think that tilly's first name gets changed i just called her that only because um only because of the tie-in that it later has for fifo and philly and the oh philly and, and yeah i think that's that logic is that's actually an in-universe plot explanation um, the first that one we sense. found so far. Yeah. But the mouse before the Mouskovitz had his last name changed to like Smith or something like that. And that was very accurate for people emigrating out of Europe. Um, also, like, does Bluth have a thing for Russia? And do I? And should we do I Anastasia? I feel like, I was, like you do. This. And we definitely are doing Anastasia. Uh, dude, the, you put it on the timeline. Please put it on the timeline because Kelsey Grammer movie came out. is fucking fire as Rasputin. And that's one of my favorite villain songs, too. It's not a Disney song. I mean, technically, if you want to be that asshole that's like, Disney owns them now. Like, yeah, technically, Anastasia is a Disney princess now. But we all know she's really not. We all know that Rasputin in that movie, that's not a Disney movie. Everybody knows that. Okay, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i got so heated by it's, that but well like, you're correct about all of those things though she is i mean who knows that this is what i mean like there's no home for her because I she's know. like part of this weird exiled group of animated movies but i think we should because i'm thinking don bluth has a thing for history i think he does and i think we're gonna find that too when we start looking at other movies that he's done mm-hmm. i'm curious to see them now because i haven't seen any of them since vhs because this shit never really came out on dvd i mean you had to be like a deep cut nerd to be yeah you had to go looking for or you had to like love this movie like dude i guarantee you i could go to uh amazon right now and look for rocker doodle on dvd and i guarantee you it would be over like 40 dollars i wouldn't be surprised if that's true like it's i rocker doodle freaks me out the movie is so good i love that movie glad we're not doing it i remember it's scaring me a lot of these don bluth movies are scary to be clear this one included like they're dark and anyway um other accurate things the the french pigeon Henri. putting up the statue of liberty right mm-hmm. because that was that was a gift from the french the, that was like the only kind of anachronism i found too because that finished i guess in 1884 but this takes place in 1885 yeah it it implies that it's in its final stages of construction, but it was erected and completed in, in the fall of 84. 
Yeah. So, well, but it's close enough. Um, and it makes sense that it's the the French pigeon doing it, right? Like where they where they do have these like super overtly stereotyped European immigrants. <laughs> it's, it has some historical accuracy. And then the Irish doing the wake. That was very correct as well because the Irish came up with that. So there's the scene in the movie where one of the mice dies in the cat attack and... I think it is Honest John and he comes in and he's like, why the fuck is there a dead mouse on the table? So Gussie comes in and she's like, why is that mouse is dead? Why is there a dead mouse in here? And Honest John is like, it's an Irish custom, Gussie. Mm-hmm. And which is true. So they used to, in Ireland, sit up with the body all night just to like make absolutely sure that it was dead. Um, kind of like having a grave bell, which are a cool thing you see all over Scotland sometimes. That's sick, and, dude. I want to go there so bad. Bells. Oh my God. I know it's creepy. There's some fun haunted tours of Edinburgh. You see that stuff. Um, But yeah, so that was super accurate. So I like the way they just threw all of this stuff in. I'm like, what movie am I watching? What's going on? So like half the dialogue in this is just like historically accurate, like colorful background. Like that has nothing to do with the movie. It's, it's kind of wild. I mean... There's a lot of background shit happening in this movie that there were there were definite moments where I was like, I forgot like kind of what the fuck we were supposed to be doing here. And I said it to Lindsay while we were both because we I was watching it and I was texting her because, you know, that's how we do it. And there are parts of this movie that I just don't. The plot of this movie is so chaotic and erratic mm-hmm that i'm i just like it feels episodic to me yeah it which is like indicative of early disney yeah very much so okay so early bluth also did some of this but yeah it was weird the way they did it because it it had a very similar to pinocchio vibe right of like less sinister as everything is less sinister than Pinocchio. Oh, I There's know. nothing yeah. we've discussed nothing more sinister than Pinocchio. I goddamn hate that movie. It's so t- yeah. Tom Hanks, you better make this better. I'm not so sure about that. I'm excited anyway, about that. I kind of am too. I'm not gonna lie. I, want, I wish we could go see that together. Um, we should review it. We should we return to Pinocchio. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it has that kind of vibe where it's like this episodic, but we're trying to come back together and there's a big thing at the end adventure. But at the same time, it was like so focused on a lot of these referential things and historical color that we've been talking about that it's like the plot gets lost. And it's just, I was like, wait, does this matter? like there were a bunch of times during the movie where i was like do i care like i'm gonna get up to pee do i need to pause or are we good like i'll be back in a sec like dude that's exactly how i fucking felt and they do a good enough job at the end where all of these random adventures that he ends up going on like they pay off at the end in some way big or small a lot of the characters come back and where where I think you're right that they what they pay off in doing, I think, is really painting this like vibrant, colorful picture of what what this part of Mousedom looked like, you know, in the in the 
the mid 1880s. But yeah, but it is like every adventure that he goes on gives us one of the things that we've talked about, right? We see a sweatshop and we see what else of what would like there was the weird orphans and I don't know, just little aspects of the city that we see like the rallies and we see these mice from different countries and we see um, yeah, paints like a diverse picture of the city. Like it's this movie really has like a lot going for it and like a like meta way a little. Bit. No, it does. And like, I'm like, I'm super here for it. Here is what I'm not fucking here for in this movie. Guys, I need you to listen to me very carefully because I've never brought this up before ever this is the first time i've ever said anything about a parent or parents in any movie oh yeah no we never talk about this we thought we were done talking about this in the 80s oh we my said god that. we were like this is the last of the shit right yeah with the weird the crazy parents and, and bullying no we're not done with the 80s like useless parents or the 80s bullying oh i know the 80s bullying i'm gonna start with the 80s bullying actually yeah. Honest to God, you guys, I legitimately have a, there is, there is something inside me that like, I cannot disassociate movies with little kids and not like, I can't watch them and not see my nephews in that situation. So for some reason, the scene where Fievel ends up at in, in orphan alley towards the end of the movie and all these orphans who he, by the way, two of those orphans, he helped escape from the sweatshop. Two of those orphans are kids that jumped down the fucking rope with him and Tony. That's interesting. Oh, that's lazy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's probably not what they intended. No. These kids just straight up shit all over Fievel. They're like, dude, you want your mom? Go fuck yourself. You're never going to see your mom again. You're an orphan. Nobody loves you. And then they like pseudo convince Fievel that he's on his own and then Fievel, and I'm going to get into this in a minute here because it's the last thing I want to fucking talk about, but Fievel is a fucking moron in this movie. Oh, this kid is a yes. fucking idiot, but yes, the smartest thing he says in this whole fucking movie, he says to those kids, the kids are like, dude, you're never going to be like, you're never going to see your family or whatever. Um, and then he's like, you're right. If they wanted to find me, they would have come and found me. And I'm like, yeah, dude. Oh my God. Oh my God. I, this is where we're going to disagree here. So like, I want to hear your, I want to hear your rant about this. I've cooled down a little bit to this, but it all literally, you guys, it's this whole fucking thing about me hating Fievel's parents. It honest to God, it starts with the boat and Five like them sitting on these ropes as the boat is rocking back and forth as the storm is picking up and five will get stuck on this bar of soap and then trapped in a bubble and then he ends up falling like away. Why did fucking Papa Mousekowitz not grab him off the bar of soap and just say, sit down with us? No, five gets like thrown to the other side of the fucking boat, stuck on this bar of soap, and then the dad, this fat piece of shit. <laughs> like struggle buses so hard to even get up the stairs. Oh yeah. Papa Mouskovitz is dude. I agree with you there that like they, and, and we will talk about what a bad kid Fievel is. We are oh, going so to get there, but Fievel needed to fucking listen to his parents. Oh, like, I don't know how. Yeah. I agree that that's one of those moments where like, 
If that were my kid, I would have smacked the shit out of him. You grab your kid. Like I, yeah, that's like, no, that's, that's, they're in danger. You need to <laughs> yeah. grab him and put, I don't care if he wants to or not. They're like, they're like, oh, Fifel, come back and be good. And he doesn't be good. And then it's, you know, it reminds me of all the kids in This Is Us because they are just so fucking dysfunctional. And I'm like, Rebecca, t- like fucking put him in line. Stop being like, Kevin, don't be so mean to Randall. I'm like, fucking sit him down. This is getting out of control. Last week, all three of the kids locked their babysitter in a closet. Reddit is on fire. The point is, Wow. At some point, Rebecca and Jack need to tell these kids to pull their heads out of their asses. And if Jack was alive, he would be having none of this. That's what I have to say. Unreal. I like to use this platform to occasionally talk about things that we're yes, not really going to officially talk about. At some point, we will re-reference The Flash in some way. Don't worry about it, guys. It'll come back. It will. Look, the dad climbs <laughs> up the fucking stairs. Fievel gets onto the deck. First of all. This is I'm combining these two fucking parts because it they are indicative of the problems just characteristically between the the parent and Fible. Fible has been terrified this entire time. The thunder going off, all the water coming in, but he still is like, "There's fish up there," and he's like, "I gotta see these fucking fish." Who gives a shit about the fish, Fible? There's a massive ass storm up there. Well, and this is what I mean. It's like if you were young and stupid enough to, well, your parents are screaming at you to sit down. Dude. And you're obviously in danger and you're young and stupid enough to be like, but I want to go see the herring. Then that is when it is time to physically grab your kid yeah. and prevent them from being washed off of the boat in the middle of the Atlantic, which is what happens to FIFO. And so I just like, it's, so I agree with you that they are wildly negligent while they have FIFO in their possession. I agree i think that there's we can make a lot of similar comments about when they get raided in russia oh that he just goes running off with a pot and a fucking skillet and he's just like come on cats ha 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 and then like the dad is nowhere to be found until after the shit is like done yeah he's a wicked close call there too like he almost gets eaten by those vicious guard cats and so yeah fivefold needs to understand that he lives in a dangerous world and you do not have the leeway to like fuck around and so i agree with you about that climbing up the fucking steps fivefold just jumps onto the rope and runs to the top of the stairs it looks like the dad's gonna do the same fucking thing and then he turns into a 1990s white people can't do anything in an infomercial <laughs> stereotype where he's like, I'm going to put up these Venetian blinds. <laughs> now I'm stuck in them. That doesn't fucking happen, dude. <laughs> like he just somehow gets caught in this rope and he's like, Five, oh, I'm hanging here like really bad Cirque du Soleil. Well, and it's like his by, by, uh, by way of being stuck in those ropes, he doesn't get swept off the boat because otherwise he would have. He would have been right? swept away with them too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was harrowing. But yeah, so I agree. I agree. Wildly negligent while Fifel is in their possession. Um, and, you know, who knows? Maybe Mouse CPS came and took the baby away because the baby's <laughs> only in the first yeah, like, we don't see the 20 baby minutes of the movie. Yeah. The, the, well, the baby makes it to New York. Um, yeah, but she after, does. Like, the and first we know she's in the, the sequel. City, yeah, that's right. So I guess she makes it, but she does not get mentioned. No, um, she doesn't even have a name. Much like the one of the babies in This Is Us. Oh my god. Anyway. Here we um, are. But this is where Lindsay and I are gonna differ. 
Yeah, this is where we start to argue. I think that once they once fight. Okay, let me set the the scene here. (laughs) Okay, you go through all of this. You're on a fucking tanker, right? This is like their mouse immigrant fucking uh, stowaways on this tanker trying to escape Russia and Germany and Ireland and Italy, right? And Feifel is swept out to sea in a storm and he is a baby mouse like why the fuck would you have any expectation on the boat or once you're in america that fifle is alive that's where i so that i just want to set that stage of this is where we're going to differ here and then let you go on because i just i'm like he's obviously dead there's no, you could not tell me I don't care if you're hearing about the same mouse, a, a different mouse of the same name or something like that okay. mouse died. You could not <laughs> convince me. And again, I contend that everything that happens after this point in the movie is the hallucination that Fifel has before death because Fifel died in that storm. Uh-huh. So <laughs> 100% if this were any for how real this movie is, this is where things just get fucking batshit insane. Fifel should be dead. By all rights, there is no debris anywhere when he falls in the water. And then magically, he's just in a bottle. No. Come on. Fifel died. Yeah, Fifel is 100% dead. There should be no expectation on the part of Fifel's parents that he survived that and would, like, find them again in New York. No. So I don't have a problem with them not having the expectation of him being alive. I have every bit a problem with them immediately shutting down Tanya every time she's like, he could be out there. Like we have to go look for him. Dude, that girl is 10. She does not need to be racked with the reality that her eight year old brother is a fucking dead yet. That all the parents had to say was we're looking for him. We have, dude, they, they did not. I thought the whole time they were like, he's fucking dead. Tanya move they on. Do. Like they, That's they exactly what little... they say. They're like, bro, move the fuck on. Shut up. He's dead. Leave it alone. Just trying to like help her accept reality. And like, cause I mean, okay, but I agree. It's a little cold. Like by the Mouskovitzes are winning. No parent. No, awards. no way in hell. No parenting awards. However, I think it's reasonable that they would doubt Tanya, but go on. Here's where it falls apart for me. Papa Mouskovitz had literally just told them, like literally days before this occurs, about the Mouse of Minsk. And they hear someone named Philly Mouskovitz came up with this idea. If I'm the dad, immediately my first thought is that's too coincidental. Who is that person? Let me see that person. No. He's like, ah, that shit probably fucking happens all the time. Whatever. There's probably like 300 Fibles, which is hilarious to me because there is actually a scene when Fibel is wandering the streets Mm -hmm. where another mouse mom calls her son Fibel. That up to that point. He can't have survived. No, he's dead in the Atlantic. I get that. And I'm totally fine up to that point. But once they hear that, like, someone named Philly Moskovitz came up with the idea to make a mouse of Minsk. Why at that point, cogs in my head would have been turning, but it's like, you don't want false hope and you're grieving and you're trying to help your daughter. Like, dude, it's your son forward. And that's like totally it's impossible. It's so isn't impossible. How do these people not know they're in a cartoon? Like it blows my mind. 
oh man, I just, it's impossible. It's impossible. But I, and also they're busy. Like there's like a fire. There's like immediate like shit going down. There isn't. There so isn't though. They're just helping so shit. And then they go to this, this rally and then they're like, we should probably help with that. Do, right. and like, and then like your note. And I saw this and I was like, I, this is where I fucking went off. And I didn't go off about the parents. I went off about fucking Tony because Tony is a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. So you, your notes said once they like have a reason to believe that he might be alive, they go looking for him. No, they don't. No, they do not. Tanya has to threaten her life by running back into the fire for her dad to follow him. Follow okay, her. But to be clear, I want to clarify my, my definition of reason to believe that he's alive <laughs> is finding the hat. Once they find the hat and okay. Tony is like, yeah. okay, no, it's five. Then they stop at nothing, right? Up until that point, all they have is a sort of similar name and a plan of like a story that I'm sure just like there's a bunch of fivels, there's probably a bunch of fivels dads who told that fucking story. You know what I mean? Like I just... I don't think that they have any reason to believe that he's alive until they find the hat, at which point they start looking for him. And so that's where we differ. It's just our definition of having a reason to think that this is I plausible. guess that's that's fair. Right? I'm like, but once they find his hat and they get... But yeah, but dude, Tony's answer is a Oh my God. Shit. Tony is a fucking piece of shit. First of all, he's like, yeah, I'm totally going to help you out. Yo, that chick is banging hot. Fuck you, little mouse. I just promised to help. I'm going to try to get my mouse dick wet. Yeah, that's all he cares about. Fuck you, Tony. He straight up stops giving a shit about Fievel until after they have this like romantic evening. And then he's like, oh, fuck, where's Philly? Yeah, he ends up completely Twitter pated and he has to like get off before he can remember that he was responsible for a minor. And is it that character comes back, right? Isn't isn't he? Tony's in Fievel Goes West. No, he's he? not. We see him. Uh, he and Bridget have a kid. And they, um, we see them when they get to Green River in the second one, and they they like build a house along like underneath the the boards and everything with everybody else. It's like stake your claim and da 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 da. Right. Um, but that's it. He's not a he's not a character in the movie after that. He doesn't. I don't even think he has a speaking role. I can't wait to see what I know what comments that has about like colonialism and like oh I'm sure it's gonna be the like- Wild West and the Gold Rush and shit. Yeah, like I can't wait to see what Don Bluth thought about the treatment of indigenous peoples in the US. Like I'm like, oh my god, this Don Bluth has so much to say. Like this is so <laughs> so not about Fifold. This is all about Don Bluth's political views. It kind of is. But yeah, I felt I I felt similarly about about uh what's his name? Tony. And leaving for yeah, leaving for his Irish girl. Um, First, and they do okay. just remember the next morning. Oh, I know. And well, and here's the other thing. Like, they're supposed to be helping, like, set off the Mouse of Minsk secret weapon part. God damn it, dude. They just replay that fucking soundbite, like, six times during that scene. Release the weapon! Like, Even I noticed the soundbite repetition in that scene, and I normally don't. And even I caught it, and I was like, oh, that's this is getting annoying. We we need to shut the fuck up. Yeah. (laughs) Um... Even after that, like during that scene, when he wakes up, fi- here's the other thing that blows my mind. Tony is asleep. Fievel is in the bathtub. Okay, fine. F- whatever. 
Um, and then the alarm goes off and Tony's like, holy shit, we're late. We're supposed to be down at the pier. And then he just like runs and, and leaves Fievel behind to put his pants on, like his clothes and shit, which we see Michael or God, we see Fievel. Why? I don't know, dude. We see Sweet. Fievel. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. We see Fievel naked when he first meets Henri at the beginning of the movie, like when he first gets to New York. And I was like, this is weird. Feels indecent. Yeah. Like the mice are clothed. Like it's very clear. Like the mice have like. This isn't like a Donald Duck like, only has a shirt situation. Like they all have clothes. A couple of them only have a shirt, weirdly, but not the ladies. And most of them are in like full Victorian garb. Like this is, I'm like, what? Fievel's like. And he's all the way naked. You know what I mean? Like, it'd be one thing if he had just his pants or just his shirt. But, like, Fievel wears both pants and a shirt all the time. And he's full-ass naked in this. And I'm just like, yo. Also. All right. This just occurred to me. (laughs) I know. (laughs) This just occurred to me. But if they were seamstresses when they first came to uh, New York, that means mom has sewing skills. Why the fuck can't she... Um, fix Fievel's shirt so that his sleeves aren't eight years long. <laughs> I'd say, I'd, again, and I can't believe that I like this because normally I'm with you, but it's not about plot or in-universe sensibility. It's about depicting them as poor. Okay. And Jewish and like the underdogs and that it's about that part of the movie. It all is. It's like none of it has anything to do with in-universe continuity. It's just about the message that Don Bluth is trying to send about, about, you know, it's in the 1800s, I guess. Because that's why. 100% it's so that he looks poor. Yeah, I mean, his his clothes are patchy and like, yeah, that's fine. I mean, Tanya freaks out because she got a new babushka. Tanya gets a rag for Hanukkah and she's stoked and Feifel gets a hat to be he's fair, seen his whole life with yeah so there's actually a lot of sentimental value there but you know it's like it's too big well you'll grow I think that's the same thing with the shirt well it's what we have it's what you're gonna wear and why would you hem it because he is gonna grow and probably still be wearing that same shirt because they're so poor so if you hem it he can't wear it when he gets bigger but or he could just have it be long now but just be like a poor raggedy, you know, if I was a rich mouse, it's t- I'm telling you, it's all about that this whole movie. Like, so the hat is too big for him. It falls off constantly throughout the movie. And this is my last thing is like, Fievel is just a fucking idiot. And he used to listen to his parents, but for no reason at all, at the end of this movie, now that he's found his family, he suddenly has the strength in his ears to hold the hat up. What? He's grown. He's grown into a, a young mouse instead of like a baby mouse, How? which actually is an interesting piece of in movie continuity that I totally buy, which is that despite the fact that he would have long starved, um, Fievel for sure was like floating for a minute. Like oh, that's a yeah. long ass trip. Like I, well, I suppose they're trying to tell us that they were close, but there's no way they were. This is why the real story is that Fievel died in the accident. I'm 100% behind that now. I really don't think any of this happened. Like Fievel didn't survive that. But I think the idea is that it's been a long time. I think that's what they're trying to tell us is that this actually has been like a long time in universe and it doesn't make sense because he wouldn't have survived. But let's pretend that he doesn't need food or water and that that bottle just, you know, 
floated naturally into Ellis Island. If we suspend our disbelief enough for that, I think it's just trying to tell us that like, it's been a really long trip since they left Russia. Well, they had to go overland to Germany, first of all, and then travel as far as they got, which had to be close enough. Like if he did make it, you know what I mean? So I think that it's just since he originally put the hat on, he's grown and, and it's emblematic of his growth as a, a young mouse in Maelstrom, ready to take on <laughs> the mouse world. Adult mousehood. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, to like, be fair, in the second one, he has fucking guns. So it's true. Yeah. He's a gunslinger in the second episode. He is a straight up second gunslinger. Movie. I... No, I'm sorry. He doesn't use guns. He uses a slingshot. No, he does. There are guns. In his though. hallucination, he uses a gun. But oh, the okay. mice and the cats don't have guns. They have slingshots. I haven't seen that movie in 7,000 years, so I have no idea. I just know the picture on like the front cover. Of oh, I know. With two with guns. Two guns I, I know. Picture that. Yeah. Also, I'm going to say this. I didn't bring this up earlier, but for, for Dom DeLuise to be in this movie, like for like, I, I love Dom DeLuise. First of all, if anybody's ever seen um, Cannonball Run, I love that movie. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. I have completely forgot that Tiger is barely in this. Yeah, he's in it for like a couple of scenes. Is he in the sequel? Yeah, the sequel. I the, thought so. The second part of the plot is actually all about Tiger. I thought so. God, I really can't wait to watch that I on know. Tubi. Um, I know, yeah, on Tubi, now that we know. Now that we know, yeah. The more you know. The last thing that I am going to say about Fievel is this movie does a really good albeit annoying job of showing how close he is to his family multiple times throughout the movie. Like yeah. it's, it's a matter of like split seconds and you missed him or I'm right on the other side of this wall. I can't believe five didn't hear his dad talking right now. Kind of shit. It's six times that they are right next to each other and the camera zooms out and they're, feet from one another yes six different times in the movie and it's satisfyingly frustrating right it's a really good dramatic irony like it's well done it it keeps you um it's kind of what makes the movie good because it feels at that point it starts to feel realistic like they're right there like like, just fucking stop moving like they're so close and then i like that it's tanya who like even though I think she's totally wrong. Um, and like they're, they have every right to tell her she's being an idiot. Um, I like that. It's her who really like believes that she's going to find him. Yeah. Especially because the third plot of five goes West is about her and her like becoming a the woman. third movie. No, no, no. In, in five goes West. The third plot of the movie is about her oh, becoming I a see. woman. Right, right, right. I remember being liking Five Goes West better because she's in it more. I remember she that wants to I be liked, a singer. I like the girl, and she becomes a a singer in a bar. Yeah, I remember this. And then the cats attack the bar or something. No, the cats run the bar, and she oh, sings okay. for them. And then they're all just like, "What the fuck? This girl is amazing!" Yeah, they love her, right? Yeah, and John Cleese is the bad guy. I'm excited to watch that movie, um, but I. So she sings the song with Fifel, and by the way, sung absolutely atrociously <laughs> by these child actors. Yeah, like I've never heard Holy anything shit. worse than Fifel's rendition of somewhere out there. Holy but shit. Yeah. I couldn't believe that this song was written for the movie. Like in my initial notes, I was like, this is like a song though. Like, how's this in this? And so 
Yeah, and this is the one that was nominated that we talked about for yeah, the Yeah, it's the one that won a Grammy. Oscars. This song won a Grammy. Not the version of the kids singing it, though. No, fuck no. And this this is something that, um, for not being a Disney movie, is another sort of um, omen of things to come in Disney because we'll see this a lot coming up, right? Where there's a version of the song that's sung by whoever's in the movie and then there's Celine Dion doing it and it's on the radio, right? So... I think we actually just talked about that. Yeah, so I, because I couldn't believe I remembered it was Celine Dion. Celine Dion sings the credits version of Beauty and the Beast. Yes, thank you. So we'll see that happening in Disney a lot. And it happens here where they had, I, I don't know who sung it in the the award-winning version of the song. But it was parodied in South Park. And do you remember this? Yeah, it's the one, isn't it the one where uh, he has the sex change operation and then he wants his penis regrown? It's later, yeah, when he he regrows, Mr. Garrison regrows his penis. The episode is called Eek a Penis. And the <laughs> Mr. Garrison's penis escapes the lab and is Oh yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like running along the fence, right? Yeah, and it's a mouse and it shows up everywhere and people are jumping on chairs and going, Eek, there's a penis! in here someone come and get it all the women hate it like and they're acting like it's like old school no 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 no. afraid of mice but they but it's mr garrison's penis they can grow organs on mice and so they regrow mr garrison's penis on the back of the mouse and then that mouse escapes by the way the original song was sung by linda ronstadt and james ingram for somewhere out there thank you thank you um and so mr garrison sings this song to his penis and and they like find one another, right? And it's it's like heartwarming. It's, I did not realize until rewatching <laughs> this because I thought I had no idea that that movie was written for Five Goes West. So I didn't realize that that episode of South Park was a was a rip on Five Goes West. Or, I'm sorry on a, on an American, American tale. Well, they sing that song again in Five Goes West. Oh yeah, they do in the beginning. Yeah. Isn't that how the movie opens? In she, so Tan, that's how you find out Tanya wants to be a singer. She's sitting out the right. window and she's singing the song, and then a bunch of people are like, "Shut the fuck up!" and they start throwing like <laughs> vegetables and shit at her. And then that's oh, Tanya. <laughs> dude, that's how they get dinner. Like a tomato flies into their living room, and the mom just scrapes it off. The uh, dude, I don't know why I remember. I oh think my it's God, because I her, remember that, dude. I think it's because Elisa Yones accent is just so thick when she says it but she's like another night without cheese and i'm like why i genuinely i can't wait for us to come back to that it's not even going to be that long no it won't but yeah so this makes the south park episode even more funny to me because i did not realize it was an american yeah. tail rip i had no <laughs> idea and i am so fucking satisfied and want to go watch eka penis again because i love that episode of south park but like Anyway, really like that. And then the last thing I had on this is like, I like how they have these six times where they're right next to each other and they miss each other. And then at the end, finally, once they once they have actual hard evidence that Five was alive, right? Which is that the hat and uh, Tony tells them, yeah, it's the Five Mouse. Oh, I right, didn't, <laughs> I didn't say this earlier, and I fucking forgot to. But the way that Tony answers Papa Mouskovitz <laughs> about who Philly is is such a fucking dick move. Yeah, what do you mean? Who's Philly? He's Philly and, and yeah, and this is long fucking pause, and then he's like, <laughs> and even uh, to be fair, the dad's kind of a dick too. He's like, will you please tell my daughter that there's no fivefold? 
tell her this kid is dead. Yeah, he's, like, he's well, not yeah, real. And he's like, there, you see, his name is Philly. And then Tony's like, oh, bet. He's also <laughs> named Fiebel. And the dad's like, Whoa, what the fuck? What? Well, and that's when the mom, he's like, there's lots of Fiebels. And the mom's like, nah, check it out. There's the hat. And so once they have the hat, they start hunting in earnest for Fiebel. And they go on the cat's back, which is great. And it's everybody's together and he's playing the violin and they're doing all the things to find Fiebel. Because as I, I know you said, his most intelligent thing was that if his family would have been, me, they would have found me, but they do find him as soon as they really start looking and they yeah. start looking as soon as they have real evidence. I, I, I'm behind the mouse kibitzes here, but <laughs> um, when they do finally find each other after these six like close passes, they actually do run right past each other. In that super ethereal, yeah, that like golden water, uh, yeah, like, pond they run whatever. right past each other's like sort of reflections almost. And I just thought that was kind of like emblematic of their proximity through the whole movie. That even when they're actually calling for each other and they hear each other and they're looking for each other, they still run right past one another. Like they, I just, did really they, like that. And that's another scene where the water looks amazing. That whole scene looked really yeah. cool. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I did actually cry. I was genuinely crying. He did. He texted me and said that he was crying. I did not. That was that was <laughs> rough, dude. I was like, this one hit Scott I, in the field. it did. And I and you know what it was, dude? Honestly, it was seeing him getting like treated like shit by these orphan kids. The scene right before, and then waking up yeah. and being like, now I've got something. Oh my god, my parents are actually looking for me. I was like, well, fuck, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it sucked. It was it was a very sweet ending though, and it was like satisfying, and it was it was different from Pinocchio in that Pinocchio and Geppetto team up to fight the whale, right? Yeah, these guys did not. They were still just that close to each other, like ships passing in the night through the whole final battle, even though they were both in it. And finding each other is like the afterthought of this movie. And I can't believe how much they did in like 80 minutes, guys. Like if you're if you're curious to go check out Tubi and 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 re- revisit an American <laughs> tale, fucking do it. It was it was only 80 minutes long and they did all of this and we're still talking. I know. It's like kind of wild. Like there was a lot more to this movie than I was about to give it credit for. There really it did was. kind of blow my mind. And honestly, like and I'm going to lead us right into it, but it did kind of like raise my rating of this movie a little bit. Like for as much shit as I gave it and how much I fucking hate the parents and shit. I I honestly like I had to give this like a 6.8, 6.9. I couldn't give it quite yeah. a 7 because there were still just things I had problems with. And this like I said, I love Five Goes West way more than I love this one. That's my recollection is that Five Goes West is better, but I hadn't seen either. of. I mean, I had no idea what this movie was about, it turns out. So I'm going to I assume that's the case for me, too, though. We haven't talked about the villain in the movie because it's hard to kind of say like Five Goes West has a definitive villain. It's Catterwall. He, he wants to like have the mice. He wants to use the mice as free labor to build this town. And then he's going to kill them all with a giant mousetrap. That's, God, that's straightforward. Right. That is what that movie's about, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but brutal, Don Bluth. It is hella brutal, dude. And they actually God, showed damn. like they're on a literal fucking mousetrap. Like it's insane. And they're all going to be like squashed to death. It's crazy. I remember that. There's like 70 mice lined up yeah. in the mousetrap. And it looks like a and stage. It, oh my God, dude. And that already in my mind, I'm like, no, that feels like getting tied up to a railroad track, which is very Western. Very, very Western. Like with the timer on it. Oh, I'm excited. 
now I'm excited for all the Don Bluth movies we're going to talk about. So I'm wondering what my boy is up to. Like what? I want to know what other commentary messages. we're going to have. Yeah. Like, yeah. What secretly are all these movies about that? Not only do we not hallucinate the film, but yeah. in fact, it has a really interesting social message. Exactly. The only pro- <laughs> the only problem that I have with this movie is the villain is so negligible. It's technically the villain is Warren T. Rat, who you find out is actually a cat pretending to be a rat, which I don't know how anybody could not fucking figure that out. My biggest takeaway from it was that in all Maelstrom, in all of the, the multiverse of Maelstrom, rats are not part of polite. They're not part of polite society. And he's the only rat we actually see, even though he's technically not a rat. He's the only rat we see. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. This is why it's all interconnected. So here's like what I don't get. This is like why I can't even give this a rating because I don't fucking get the plan here. He supposedly, and we hear this throughout like after the cat attack on the market, um, he takes money from the people to protect them from the cats. But the fucking cats still attack them. So why are these people still paying him? If the fucking cats still attack them, like what kind of plan is this? Like, and like the kids working in the sewing shop, fucking, we never see them again. We, it never comes up. Like I said, like we said earlier, vital is there for, I think a minute and 14 seconds tops. Yeah. And then it's just like, it's not brought up again. Where the fuck are those kids? Honest to God, no one but Fievel's family has an actual happy ending in this movie. And we know that for a fact because Fievel Ghost West literally opens with a cat attack. Like, they, I mean, I they solve that even nothing. Fievel's family, like, they have a happy ending, but it doesn't mean that, like, the, I do think it's funny that they, they say that. Because they, they get all of the cats onto the boat at the end and they're on a boat to Hong Kong and they're like, now there's no more cats in America. And I'm like, okay, or this one gang of cats got minimized. Like, you haven't destroyed the entire thing. You helped and your neighborhood. Further... Yeah, and it's just more commentary on, like, the fight is never done, right? We can make so much progress in fighting oppression, but it's never over. Like, very apropos with the Russia stuff right now. Like, it's that that kind of thing is still going on. Right. And so you can fight and fight, but the fight's never truly done. And I think that that's the message that of, a, of an American tale. I don't like that. They, it's like the battles won, but not the war. No, the war just like keeps going. Yeah. And that's why for me, Warren T rat is just like the face of this a little bit. And the real the real enemy here is just the concept of oppression as anthropomorphized by the cats like in the cats yeah or into scat the into the cats yeah but um the most interesting thing about it wasn't them as a villain because i think the message here is that that's a pervasive evil that exists everywhere no matter where you go and there is no place where there are no cats and like and it's more about how you work together in the like the constant battle, right? And Don Bluth, I'm just like, this is fucking deep. What is going on? How is this what I'm taking away from American Tale? So I, I'm i with you. I gave this like a 6.8 overall. I can't push it up to a 7, but there is like a fucking ton going on here. And I have no idea how to rate the concept of oppression as a villain. But were I to, I think it would be higher than the movie. 
Like I'm thinking of like, as I think this through, like with a critical eye, not how the cats are in the movie, but the way that they're used to represent oppressive societies worldwide and these, the attempt to escape or fight against them and like this fight or flight. I'm tempted to give that like an 8.5. Like I'm like, this was not a villain rating, like just a full on fucking message rating. Like I'm going to give this, like if we're changing this from a villain rating to a, a message of the movie rating, I'm giving this like a fucking almost a nine. Yeah, I think so too. Cause I think that's what the villain really, how it's done. Like it's translated in as cats, but there's really a lot going on here and like how this is presented. It's shocking. Like how are we, st- I can't believe we're still here. I would, if you'd asked me six months ago, I would have been like, oh yeah, no, I'm sure American Tale will be like our shortest episode because yeah. I love it because we have the feels for this movie. But no, there's really something going on here. I'm I'm curious now to watch The Land Before Time and find out whether that's more than, you know, what I give it credit for in my recollections. I'll tell you guys right now something I'm not going to do is watch all those, all, all like 47 of like them, all those sequels. Them. No, we're going to talk about the first one and I'll have some very fond memories for the second one. Um, and there were lots Chomper. of good Land Before Time movies, but yeah, Chomper was Chomper was a good dude. And those guys and the song about eggs and stuff. Like, anyway, <laughs> I I like Land Before Time. Those sequels had nothing to do with Don Bluth. And I want to make sure that we add Sarah the Triceratops to the list of bullies from the eighties. Oh, hundred percent, million percent. She's one of them. She absolutely is. Yeah, what a bitch. But yeah, no, the sequels all had music and they were great. And I. <laughs> I'm going to do my best not to sing the songs to you because I know them. But the I point know the is big water song and that's about it. Oh, don't don't start me. <laughs> <laughs> Take us out of here then, Lindsay. Oh, Jesus, God. All right. Thank you guys for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed yourselves and learned a little something about the 1880s. Uh, check us out next week for our review of Fantastic Beasts and the Secrets of Dumbledore. Our first stint into the wizarding world. Yeah, something that we um, unabashedly and very publicly love and have not gotten a chance to discuss. So check us out next week to see how and whether we managed to stay on track to talk about the secrets of Dumbledore and not all of Harry Potter because we're just being given an opportunity. I'm like, yeah, we're going to have to see how we handle it when the door gets opened. And honest to Um, God, guys, like we are going to do this one. We are both. I am excited to see this. Lindsay has her reservations. <laughs> like, well, and we'll get into it, but we are not going to pull a Morbius on you this time. We are going to actually go see this. No, we're going to actually go see Secrets of Dumbledore. That's happening. Um, it doesn't matter how bad it is. We're going to go see Secrets of Dumbledore. And yes, Scott's correct. He is more excited for this than I am. However, <laughs> we will be going to see it. And in the meantime, make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media. You can find the links to our sites and social media in the episode description. And if you want to support the podcast, check us out on Patreon and check out our website for all the timeline goodies, past, present, and future. And until next week, stay nerdy.